had such a good time talking about suffering last week, we thought, let's do it again. It's a wonderful topic to talk about, um, difficult topic. Uh, I want to say this, you know, this is the day that we spring the clocks forward. Does, any, does anybody think that they were coming for a 10.30 service this morning? Did anybody walk in and think? I, I bet there's somebody here in this crowd that they still think it's the 10.30 service. Actually, this is the 11.30 service. It's almost noontime right now. And uh, for 25 years, I've always had a good time at laughing with, sometimes laughing at, people who will walk down the hallway and you can see the look on their face because they came halfway through a service. This is perfect now because our service are 9.30, 10.30, 11.30. We wouldn't know the difference unless somebody walks in at 12.30, then we're all going to know. But uh, for the first time in 25 years, I blew it this morning. I had no idea. I mean, I knew, but I forgot. And so all of a sudden around my house, when it sank in <laughs> that we were we didn't shut the clocks an hour forward there was this massive scream and the whole house went into pandemonium and chaos broke out so god has a wonderful way of humbling us uh, about things that we do and we do reap what we sow all right all right here we go suffering suffering is a very difficult topic everybody it's a painful topic it's an emotional topic and yes it is also a very controversial topic so we what we included this past week and the broadcast email that we send out is we said if anybody has any questions or concerns or anything like that, you know, shoot back all that to us. Because we're figuring that somebody, you know, has got to say, man, what is the deal? You're telling me that the devil is temporarily ruling over this planet? That doesn't make sense. I wasn't raised with I mean, I wasn't raised with that. So we thought we'd get some feedback. And you know what we got? Nothing. Nobody emailed me. I put my email there and nobody emailed me. Um, so I thought, well, shoot, you know, because I was going to do a lead-in this week and clarify a few points and all that kind of good stuff, but nobody emailed me. So I figured, man, you guys are just totally down with this. You're completely cool. So maybe um, you grew up with a whole no different understanding than I did. So anyway, uh, I'm going to shorten this, and I'm going to make just a very short clarification uh, so that I don't bore you too much. But I did want to make a couple clarifications about last week. So on the back of your bulletin, there's this verse. Now, there's verses like this all over the Bible that talk about a warfare that goes on. Ephesians 6, 12, I listed it last week. It basically says this. This is for keeps. This is a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all of his angels. Now, here's the thing. As I said, this battle, this whole imagery of battle and what the Bible talks about battle is from start to finish. It talks about it all over the place. There's this huge battle that's going on. And as I said last week, I talked about the fact that I grew up thinking that everything that happened on this planet, good, bad, ugly, was all the will of God, that God was ruling over this planet, and that His will was done. So when something terrible happened to somebody, though I might feel bad for them, my response was, God's will. So, you know, suck it up, let's move on. And that's why I had to handle my own life. But then I had some problems when I encountered some suffering myself and I had to do a study on this. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. If this battle's going on, right, and everything is all God's will, what's the battle about? Okay? If you're tracking with me, everything's God's will. What's he fighting about? He's fighting for his will. His will's already being done. What's the fight? Who can in the world can explain that one? I'm not asking you to shout back right now, but who in the world can explain that one? The, all these battle verses about this huge battle going on against the devil and stuff make absolutely no sense if God's will is like always being done. It makes no sense whatsoever. If, I'm, if my will's already be done, what am I fighting for? I mean, I'm looking foolish. So the only way these make sense is if the devil is ruling, and this is his kingdom right now, 
and we're struggling for the will of God to be done. Last week we said God is love, therefore His creation had to be a place of free will because you can't have love unless you have free will. Last week we said this, God is love, therefore He will never force His will upon anybody. I could choose to do God's will. I could choose it, but I could have five people around me who choose not to do God's will. And their choices could lead to my suffering. And I'll say, God, why are you letting this happen to me? Right? Like, protect me. Why don't you force those people over there to do your will? And God's not going to do that. He's not going to do that. I want Him to do that. I pray for Him to do that. But He won't do that. Last week we talked about this. Suffering began with Adam and Eve, according to Genesis chapter 3 and Romans chapter 5. And Adam and Eve, as the representative heads of this planet, of our lives, of humanity, rejected, here's where it all starts, they rejected the rule and the reign of God in their lives. They rejected the leadership of God in their lives. And since that point, there's just been a cascade of suffering that has flown down. I want to be really clear about this. God is sovereign. God is all-powerful. He rules and He reigns over His kingdom. But His kingdom is in heaven. His kingdom is in heaven, not here on this earth. So here's a fill-in-the-blank for you. God is large and in charge. If there's anybody thinking that, oh, so what are you saying? God's not all-powerful. Could you write this down? I want to be totally crystal clear. God is large and He is in charge over His kingdom. And His kingdom happens to be in heaven. The fact that Satan is temporarily the ruler of this planet does not diminish God's omnipotence by one bit. Here's the thing. Let's think about this. If I'm excited about going to heaven, right? So let's put it this way. So God's ruling and reigning in heaven. And if I'm to think that then God is ruling and reigning here on this planet and this planet is filled with suffering and pain, why am I excited about going to heaven? Couldn't heaven be filled with suffering and pain? Just, I mean, he's in charge up there. He's in charge down here. This place is pretty bad. I mean, there's a lot of times I want to get out. Why am I excited about going? It's a problem. It's a problem. Now, here's the thing. After last week's message, um, I think it was about Tuesday in the week, my wonderful wife of 24 years, she says to me, she says, Now, John, listen, um, you and I grew up in the same church. We've known each other all our lives. Nobody ever taught us this. I never heard anybody say this. Have you, ever, has, have you ever heard anybody else say this? And then she clarifies. She says, have you ever heard anybody teach of this who is like somebody of importance on this planet? Like, have, have, have anybody who is of significance that is means something, have you ever heard somebody, you know, because we know that you're not, John. So anybody... <laughs> You know, what you very like. So, you know, has anybody and I thought, no, this is a problem. I haven't. I've heard people get close, but never say it. And so it sent me on this quest this past week. Now, here's the thing. And in my office, I have all these bookcases and I have all these commentary sets. When 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 somebody comes to Derek and I and they say these things, they say they say to us, Pastor, we want to go deep like. Man, we want to go deep with God. We want to, we just want to go, man, we want the truth of God's and they're really serious. We try to qualify them a little bit. We try to say, Are you sure? Are you sure you really want to go? You got, it's like that movie. Um, what's that movie with Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson? What's the name of that movie? Few Good Men, right? You know that scene? Truth. You can't handle the truth. So we like we haze them a little bit. You can't handle the truth. And so if they convince us they can handle the truth, this is what we do. 
there is a section in my office where I have a set of commentaries. Now, I have all kinds of commentaries, but I've got this set of commentaries. And Derek and I refer to this as the Holy of Holies. This is a sacred area in our office. And if somebody convinces us they really want to go deep, we go to John MacArthur Commentaries. It says it right on the back, unleashing God's truth one verse at a time. Anybody who knows anything about studying, deeply studying the Word of God who lives in the United States of America knows that John MacArthur is the preeminent head of expository Bible teaching. When you talk about knowing the Bible, John MacArthur is king. Am I clear? Am I, am I clear? Tom Cruise, work with me, everybody. Am I clear? I'm clear. Okay. So I was talking to a mega church pastor right as Grace Community Church was starting, and he told me this story about John MacArthur. Now, this is unsubstantiated, but I believe what this guy told me. John MacArthur said when he went to his church 30 years ago, which is also called Grace Community Church, when he went to his church 30 years ago, he said to the people who were considering hiring him, he said, listen, if you're going to hire me, then you better go out and hire an administrator. You better go out and hire a counselor. You better go out and fire, find somebody to do all the marrying and the bearing and all the other stuff that goes on in church because I won't do one thing. I'm going to go in my office for 40 hours a week, and I'm going to study the Word of God, and I'm going to come out on Sunday, and I'm going to preach. And when I'm done, I'm going to go back in that office and do the same thing. Ooh, now, that guy's serious. And they hired him. And, man, he is it. So when my wife issued such a challenge to me this past week, and I figured, man, I don't got, I, I'm nobody, and I don't know of anybody who's ever said this, I just figured we might as well go to the top. And so I went to John MacArthur, and I found a sentence, and I want to read you that sentence, if I can, please. John MacArthur. All right. I actually want to re read you a read-in sentence because uh, it's very important, another sentence to it. Because he talks about the Lord's Prayer, which we talked about last week. It's been very important in my life in understanding suffering to understand the Lord's Prayer. So he's talking about the Lord's Prayer. He says, in heaven, in the Lord's Prayer, the phrase in heaven, refers to God's universal and direct reign. Whereas on earth, down here, refers to this present kingdom in which only his saints are subjects in the fullest sense. Now here comes the really important verse. When Satan succeeded in leading Adam and Eve into the rebellion that he had begun in heaven, he, speaking of Satan, became the temporary ruler and prince of earth. Oh, Lord have mercy. I got on the phone like there's nobody's business, and I said, Krista, woo, I'm going to read you something from John MacArthur. So, anybody, if that bothers you, if that bothers you that the devil is the ruler of this planet, please don't fight with me. Go to God's best friend. Okay, he's right here, John MacArthur. I, tell you, I can't tell you how good that made me feel this past week. It was just absolutely excellent. So here's the thing. All right, for me, dealing with this issue of suffering and understanding who's ruling and reigning on this planet has had major impact, positive impact, upon my relationship with God. Huge impact. Because what I would do when things went wrong in my life, I just got so mad at God. God, you could snap your fingers and make all this go away right now. God, why aren't you solving this problem? God, I'm trying to do your will. Why are you making bad things happen to me? Why am I suffering? And so God and I would have these major issues. I would blame God. I would blame the victim. God is the victim. He's the one that's been rejected of leadership, of rule and reign in our lives. It started back in the garden. I'd blame God. It's my natural response. And it caused massive problems in my relationship with God. So my relationship with God hit the dumps many times, right in the tank, often, very often. Now, with my understanding of this, instead of blaming God, I can praise God because He is my only hope. 
And instead of blaming God, I can fight back, which is what I really want to talk about today, fighting back. And I want to use the life of John the Baptist to try to put this whole thing in context. So let's talk about John the Baptist. Who was he? John the Baptist prophesied in Scripture that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, would come and he would have a front man. He would have a front man. And that front man's name was going to be John the Baptist. So John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. So when the Virgin Mary was pregnant with Jesus Christ, Mary goes and visits her, her, her cousin Elizabeth. Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. And we're told that the moment Mary walks into the house, that John the Baptist, he like starts to wave inside of Elizabeth's stomach. He says, woo, he just jumps up. He says he leaps for joy. That's how excited he was. He's like, whoa, the Messiah just walked in. Now, John the Baptist, we're told this guy was tough as nails. The scripture tells us this guy lived out in the desert. It says he wore camel hair. Why are they telling us he wears camel hair? I've never worked. Anybody ever wore camel hair? I haven't worn camel hair. It's trying to tell us that this guy's tough. It says that he ate locusts like he just take a, you know, he's walking down the road. He sees a tree, got a little locust on it. He pulled it off, just talking to you, bite his head right off and eat it. It says he wore a big old leather belt. Why does it tell us he wear a leather belt? He's trying to tell us that he looked like the Hell's Angels back then, riding around on Harleys and leather jackets. He wore a big leather belt. He's ripping locusts with their heads off. He's wearing camel hair. He was tough. He was very tough. If somebody did something wrong, John the Baptist would not back down, and he could not stand hypocrisy. He could not stand people walking around trying to act all holy. He'd see right through them, and, man, he'd get right up in their face, and he'd let them have it. Now, anybody here like hellfire and brimstone preaching? Anybody? Please, don't be embarrassed. Does anybody here like it? I know some of you do. Anybody? Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. One person here, there's other people in the room, but they're scared, but you're John the Baptist, and you're willing to take the stand, and I thank you very much for that. Derek and I have people come to us all the time and say, listen, guys, we really appreciate your sensitivity. You preach with sensitivity, and we think it's great, but we've got to be honest with you. Can every now and then, can you pull out the hellfire and brimstone? Because I don't feel like I've been in church unless somebody spanks me. Like, I need somebody to beat on me every now and then. So if you like hellfire and brimstone, see, you would love John the Baptist because he, would, he had the biggest paddle on planet Earth, and he would wham, he would wail away. So, when the Pharisees came around and he hated their hypocrisy, he got right up in their faces, you bunch of stinking snakes, and he just let them have it. And here's the deal. The Pharisees had positions of power. They could do something about him. When John the Baptist messed with King Herod, King Herod, wicked guy, everybody, very wicked guy, he had his brother killed, more than likely. Philip, his own brother killed. You know why? Because he wanted to marry his wife. Whew, that's tough. So what he does is, John the Baptist... He goes and confronts Herod about it. He speaks out publicly. He's, he's just nailing Herod for what he did. So what does Herod do? Herod has him thrown in prison. And here's where we can learn some things about suffering. When you decide, when you decide to fight back and to do the will of God, I've got three things that you need to think about that you, you should expect in your life, okay? And the first one is this. You should expect to suffer. When you do the will of God and you start fighting back, here's the fill in the blank. Expect to suffer. Now, why is that important? I'm going to tell you why it's very important to me. You think John the Baptist, he's doing the will of God. He's calling out truth. He's calling out righteousness. He's calling out people for hypocrisy and all this kind of stuff. The things are going to go well with him. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, he's in prison. Let me tell you about my life. In my life, because I grew up with the understanding that, gosh, man, God's in control of everything. He's controlled this planet. His will is always being done. He's ruling and reigning this planet Earth. So anytime I do in the kingdom of God, if this is the kingdom of God, if planet Earth's kingdom of God, when I do the will of God in God's kingdom, blue skies. Nothing but blue skies. Peace. 
And I grew up that way my, all my life. And so I'm like 22, 23 years old. I'm serving in a church. It's like my second church I've been in. And there's something happened in church. Something happened wrong in the church. Something happened wrong in the church. And so what did stupid John do? I stood up and said, hey, you know, and I, I tried to do it nice. I think I did it nice. Probably didn't handle it all the best, but I tried to do my best. And I called it out. I just called it out. And I remember somebody else on staff saying, oh, man, you sure you wanted to do that? And we all know it's wrong. We all know it's bad. We all know it's got to stop. We all know things are getting really bad. But, man, you sure. And I, you know, I, I'm telling you, I said this right back to him in the office. I said, you've got nothing to worry about from me. I did the right thing. I did God's will. Blue skies. Everything's going to be perfect. And you know what happened? All hell broke loose, and I got fired within a week. Okay? Right? Here's the thing. I've always been on the understanding that if I do God's will, then everything's going to be at peace. I've said to people, well, you do God's will, man, it's just going to be peace. I got news for you. If you do God's will in God's kingdom, everything's going to be at peace. But if you do God's will in Satan's kingdom, you're going to have some serious trouble. That's why Jesus said, expect trouble. Because we don't live in God's kingdom. We live in the devil's kingdom. He's ruling and reigning on this planet earth. And when you seek to fight back against injustice, and when you seek to do the will of God in the devil's kingdom, you're going to have trouble. And that really helped me to understand that. And so we see John the Baptist, he's in prison. He's doing the will of God. Next thing you know, he's awaiting execution in prison. Here's the second thing you should expect. You should expect a doubt. You should expect some doubt in your life. You ever met somebody who had no doubts whatsoever about God? Oh, whoo, man. God said it. I believe it. Dad said it. Like, not even a twinge. Not even a, not even a twinge of doubt. You're like, man, that person is really, they've got, they're almost robotic. You know what I'm saying? Almost not human. There's just like zero doubt whatsoever. Well, let's talk about John the Baptist, right? Because John the Baptist is the front runner of Jesus Christ, everybody. We're not just talking about any old follower of Jesus here. We're talking John the Baptist. We're talking about the advanced man for Jesus Christ, the guy responsible for pointing everybody, everybody to Jesus Christ. We're talking about the guy that Jesus Christ himself said, of those born of women, there is none greater than John the Baptist. We're talking by the mouth of Jesus, uh, Jesus' own mouth. He says, he is the guy. So now he's sitting in prison and he gets two of his disciples. John gets two of his disciples. He says, listen, guys, I need you to go to Jesus, find him. I need you to ask him a question. So they come to Jesus. Jesus got a bunch of people around him. And what is John? What's the message? What is fire breathing, hard as nails, front runner for Jesus Christ? What's the question? Jesus, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Or should we expect another? He was doubting Jesus. Doubting Jesus. Here's the tough thing, everybody. I have people come to me all the time and say, you know, hey, Pastor, um, you know, you got a lot of people in that church. They just, man, they they believe it. They believe it hook, line, and sinker. And there's stuff I really would want to do in church. And mom, one day I will, but I got to work these doubt things out. I just kind of got to hang in the back and hold my head low and not really do a lot of stuff because, you know, man, I got doubts. I got some serious doubts. Well, welcome to John the Baptist Club. You want to do the will of God in the kingdom of the devil. You can expect some doubts. I'll tell you what, what got me, what got me so much about this. A few years ago, I was doing a study on Ephesians chapter 6, the armor of God. We'll talk about more about that next week. And it says, you know, you wear the breastplate of righteousness. You've got the helmet of salvation. You've got these shoes, the gospel piece. You've got the belt of truth. And it says you've got this shield and you've got a sword, shield, shield of faith. So Paul's writing with all this imagery of a Roman soldier. And what would happen 
when the Roman army would go out to battle, they put all the guys up front with their little shields. You know, they were about that big. Put them up front, and they would form a wall about a mile long. And they would march forward with this wall, see? They would go forward with this wall. And the enemy on the other side would shoot all kinds of arrows at them, arrows, flaming arrows. They'd light these arrows on fire, and they'd shoot them out. And, and it would hit these all this wall of shields there, and it would knock out those arrows. And, and Paul says that shield is a shield of faith. Now, here's, here's the kicker. A Roman general, if he wanted to find out if his soldier was in the battle, all he had to do is say, show me your shield. Show me your shield. Show me your doubts. Those arrows in the scripture are arrows of the enemy, which are arrows of doubts. I used to think in my own life, my gosh, if I've got doubts, I can't be in the ministry. I can't be a pastor. There's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with my faith. And then I realized this. I realized John the Baptist had doubts. And I realized that maybe the doubts in my shield of faith are more a sign that I'm in the battle than if I had no doubts whatsoever. The doubts are a sign that you're actually engaged in warfare, everybody. Maybe not so much that you should just, that you've taken some time off. Expect a doubt. Finally, expect to wait. Now, here's the thing. It's 12.15. Now, I completely messed up. And I've known this because it started in the first service. So the second service, and now you guys... We, we, I knew this was happening, but it was pandemonium in the first service when I was preaching away, and all of a sudden I looked up, and it was time to end the service. And I said, oh, my God, I'm only halfway through this message. So I just, like, royally screwed everything up. We're going to figure out who on staff suggested a 45-minute service, and we're firing them. So <laughs> somebody will not be here next week. But um, this was not meant to be a cliffhanger, although it ends at a perfect point because the next fill-in-the-blank is to expect to wait. And... We're going to have to wait until next week to figure out how the, all this thing concludes because there are a few things, particularly from the life of Daniel, that I want to talk about. Daniel chapter 10 is a very important in our understanding of suffering and prayer and warfare and the enemy. So if you want something to do, you can read the whole book of Daniel. It's a wonderful read. Or if you've got just a little bit of time, you can read Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. It's a great time. Let me conclude by saying this, and we will conclude this message next week. Fighting back, fighting against suffering and alleviating pain is a one-two punch. I want to be clear with this. It is a combination for those of you who love boxing. I know my wife thinks it's an ungodly sport. Okay, but those of you who are ungodly at times and you watch boxing, it's a combination punch. It's a one-two. It's a knockout punch. Suffering is knocked out with a one-two punch. Not one, not two, but both. One-two, okay? It's very important. It starts, punch number one, is with reversing the decision that was made in the garden. That's punch number one. It's taking the leadership on. It's saying, okay, God, I want you to rule and reign over my life. Jesus Christ, I want you to rule and reign in my life. I'm accepting you into my life, okay? I want you to rule. That's punch number one. It's got to be followed up with punch number two. And punch number two is doing something, everybody, to alleviate the pain and suffering of somebody else on this planet. There are some people who have been in church all their lives... I kind of grew up in a church like this, that, man, it was all about people getting saved. And other people out there who were doing so much about, like, what we called social gospel stuff to alleviate suffering and pain, they're like, man, they're really not on track. 
You know what's incredibly interesting here in Matthew chapter 11 when John the Baptist sends his disciples and say, Jesus, are you the one we should expect? You know, or, or should we expect another? Are you it? Are you it? You know what Jesus says back to him? He does not say this. He doesn't say, hey, go back and tell John that 132 people responded to the altar call this morning and praised Jesus, man. They received me as Savior. Woo! Right? And say that. You know what he says? He doesn't mention that at all. He says, you go back and you tell John. You go back and tell John. That people who are hungry, I'm feeding them. People who are thirsty, we're giving them something to drink. People who need clothing, we're clothing them. People who are blind, I'm healing them and they can see. People who are deaf, I'm opening their ears. People who have leprosy, we're healing their leprosy. We're doing all this stuff to alleviate in tangible, physical ways the suffering and pain of people. And he doesn't mention salvation at all. That is the sign to John the Baptist that he is the Messiah. The Messiah is about these two things. We want to fight back against injustice. Then we have to do a combination punch. It's receiving Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of life. And it's also going out and lightening somebody else's load. There are people out there who want to be all about Jesus and just, hey, man, you need Jesus. People in Haiti, oh, they need Jesus. They do, but they also need a pair of shoes. They need Jesus, but they also need a pair of shoes. And there's some people who say, no, forget the shoes, man. They just need Jesus. And they want to reject the practices of Jesus Christ that he did. And there's other people over here that say, you know what? We want to reject the king. We just want to be about what his kingdom was. We like the stuff we see Jesus doing. We're just going to reject the Jesus, and we're going to do this stuff. It's a one-two punch. It's a one-two punch. And we all have an opportunity today to do that. A one-two punch. Reception of Jesus Christ as Savior, and bring a pair of shoes next week and lighten somebody's load. And I think that's pretty cool. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you, God, that though we live in a world filled with suffering and pain and is so depressing at times, that you give us a plan, you give us a strategy how we can punch suffering right in the mouth. God, I just pray that you would help us to go out from here under your rule and under your reign, God, and lighten somebody's load in Jesus' name.